Hello and welcome to Influencers Cafe. This is Nikos, your host. Today I'm with Jenny Rossiter. How are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. Nikos? And where, whereabouts are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from uh, Ascot in Berkshire in the UK. Okay, I'd, I'd have to actually Google where that is. My, my local geography is not the best. I had to Google East Midlands this morning because uh, oh, there's a potential client up there and I was like, where is that? Was, well, that's kind of far away. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's near to Heathrow, near to Windsor. Oh, okay. Heathrow's that's that's handy for flying. It do you, is. Do you travel a lot? Um, I do a bit, not too much. I t- I try not to. Um, I don't like to travel too much. Yeah. Please excuse the outdoor neighbours. They're um, in London. They tend to drill these basements, and uh, I've been hearing drilling through concrete the last three weeks here. So, um, but it's uh. It's part of living in London. <laughs> it is, isn't it? All that building going on all the time. So, um, could you let us know a little bit about your, your background, maybe academic yeah. background, early work life? Yeah. So, I started my career as a nurse. Um, I always wanted to be a nurse. I, From the age of about five, I thought, I want to be a nurse. And I had a dream and got into one of the best teaching hospitals in London, St. Bartholomew's Hospital at 18. And then um, after qualifying, I quickly um, converted over to train as a psychiatric nurse because I realized that my passion and um, love was of people and really what what makes people tick. And um, the love of, of, of being with people at their most vulnerable um, and just caring and loving them in 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 their place of need really um so that's that's my absolute foundation um and i got a degree in clinical um psychiatry and nursing and then what happened i was working in a psychiatric hospital in the uk and i really couldn't bear the treatment of people in their most vulnerable states Um, I didn't necessarily agree with how people were treated, overuse of medication, um, some some quite severe ways of um, containing people. And um, it was too much for my heart to bear. So I I, I jumped over to a commercial role, which does seem quite odd. Um, And the, the driver for me was that I do actually love business as well. And I love people. Um, and, and, and I am very commercial. So if I say cut me in half, I'm half Mother Teresa, half sort of commercial beast. But we know that Mother Teresa was very commercial herself, actually. All right. Uh, she was a very, very strong leader. Okay. Um, so I, I, I started my corporate career with Procter & Gamble at 23 as a pharmaceutical rep, um, which was you know, connecting with doctors and hospitals and um, sharing insights and um, selling pharmaceutical products to the NHS and doctors. So the link was obviously my understanding of um, medicine and nursing. And of course, this was my, my tribe and my territory because of course, you know, the NHS and doctors and medicine was sort of within my heart so that was the connection but I sort of quickly moved through a career at Procter & Gamble a a number of different roles um sales rep 
Um, I went into people and development roles. I went into management roles and worked for P&G for about nine years. I also worked in New Zealand as well. Um, so that was the transition. But what's really interesting about the roles that I've had in commercial was is that they're all people related. And my study of psychology and um, mental health and people started at 18 and it's continued so I've I've relentlessly learned and um been curious about human beings since that time so when and you so when you say psychiatric I'm not too familiar with some of the, the terms uh, even yeah. though I did a sort of physics biophysics degree yeah. uh, I didn't know much about psychology what does psych psychiatric actually mean psychiatric yeah, good good point. Um, we tend not to use that expression anymore. Um, it's called mental health now, but psychiatric is um, me- mental illness, actually. Right. Um, in the medical model. So a psychiatric, psychiat- we used to call them psychiatric wards. It tends not to use that language anymore. But it is, um, you know, when people are diagnosed with a mental illness and they, they are medicalized and in hospital. And as a psychiatric nurse, I would look after those people when they are, you know, ill enough to be in a ward, in a hospital ward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and when you started work, what was the kind of com- <clears throat> common men- mental illnesses and, and how is that, have you seen any changes between then and now? Mm. It's a really interesting um, question. <clears throat> I haven't worked in a, 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 a um, psychiatric ward for a number of years, although I did work when I was building my business. I used to work at, in, at night with um, as a psychiatric nurse to part from my business when I first started up, which was 17 years ago. But what I, what I did notice um, and I, I hear about from friends and I observe, um, not as a psychiatric nurse because I don't do that anymore, is that there um, are a lot of social problems that create mental health. Um, I think that there um, a, a massive increase in stress. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I was an expert anywhere, any, anymore um, from a medical model perspective, but what I see around people's mental health in organisations, I probably have a greater view on. Because I, as a coach, as an executive coach, I hear about how people truly are. Because, of course, that's what I do. I, I still sit with people in their hour of need, which was exactly what I did as a nurse. So I'm still doing what I set out to do, just in a different way. And my, 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 the space that I now work in is in in business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder how uh, mental health and uh, stress has changed from the years, say after the war up until now because you'd think that yeah. technology would make our lives easier and less stressful mm. i wonder if there was any studies haven't been done to, to uh, challenge that you know yeah I th- I th- I th- there are a lot of studies happening now um you know i can't quote them but what i believe and um yeah, I really believe in my heart that what is happening with technology is although it is connecting us, it is disconnecting us as well. Yeah. 
And what I notice is in organizations um, with myself, with people I work with and I understand, you know, humans in general, when we become disconnected from ourselves, we become disconnected from each other and we become disconnected from our work and nature, actually, it can cause a whole lot of problems because we can become quite unhappy. And when we become disconnected with ourselves, you know, we lose our sense of being a human being. So in relation to your point about technology, even though technology is connecting us and it's keeping us on 24-7, so we are in touch, there is a lot of disconnection around that as well. What do you mean by disconnected from yourself? So... um, One example of being disconnected from ourselves is that we're so busy on the task of doing, of achieving and of um, generating stuff at a a ridiculous pace and we are in a task focus rather than a relational focus. We can lose our sense of self um, in relation to ourselves because we are focused outward on things that might not have as much meaning for us it might be a task rather than the relationship um we can become overwhelmed we can um get completely distracted by things that actually disconnect us from ourselves because there's so much pull there's so much pull you know we wake up in the morning and we look at our phones and then we get completely distracted and away from or we wake up look at our phones and go back to sleep Okay. Or we wake up, we look at our phones and then go back to sleep. Yeah. 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 You know, and that that is a massive addiction for most of us. Oh, yeah. The first thing I do when I wake up is check the share prices of various companies. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We can. Yeah. But when we didn't have mobile phones, we weren't connected in this way. We would turn to our partner and we would go and concentrate on making a cup of tea or we would concentrate on getting ready and looking after ourselves or whatever it might be we would connect with ourselves instead we're pulled away from ourselves and our families and and the human we're actually pulled away from human connection mm-hmm. and a lot of these technologies people don't actually really need you know i mean okay i need technology a lot because i travel a lot and it's really helps me to for example but the, i mean i use it for basically airplane tickets buying uber cars yes. And, yes. and paying for things in euros and stuff yeah. like that but if, if, it, if I didn't need to do all these things I wouldn't I don't need a smartphone really what what benefit does it provide me over my Nokia 310 yeah. that I used to had you know interesting I've just sort of observed my own behavior around connecting in to the um internet more and social media and when I was I had my really low patch you know when I was in burnout I isolated myself and I didn't actually want to go onto Facebook or social media because it actually made me feel worse about myself. Now I have more energy. What I'm doing, I'm connecting. I'm using it really to my benefit in the fact that I'm connecting in with people that have um, similar interests, that are talking about the topics I want to talk about and that have meaning for me. So I'm on LinkedIn and I'm generating conversations with the most inspirational people. Right, I'm meeting people from all over the world that are on the same conversations that I'm on. Yeah. 
So I say, um, and I'm getting encouragement, I'm getting support, I'm getting inspiration from the most incredible people all around the world that are also interested in the things that I'm interested in. So what I'm doing, I'm using it to my own benefit because I'm actually feeling very connected with some beautiful people that I would never be able to meet if I didn't do that. But it's for me being choiceful about those conversations I have. So how do, around... you, how do you come across, when you're connected to people that maybe you haven't met before or yeah. and how do you how do you seem natural to somebody versus somebody that's just trying to pitch something you know like you get quite a lot of that I get quite a lot of that I've done that yeah. myself at some points but I kind of yes exactly learned yeah from, me too. mistakes yeah exactly <laughs> um so if somebody offers me something that I might want and that has value then I'm very interested in engaging in the conversation but I feel it you know you feel where people are coming from their hearts and coming from their truth yeah. versus people that are trying to sell something. You can sort of just how they communicate and connect in with you is just interesting and you can just sense into it. I think my instinct of how I want to be and who I want to connect with and what I want my life to be connected to is changed. And I, I'm just very, very aware of that. I think you I like... know, I'm connecting in with a lot of inspirational bloggers, for example, and, um, you know, people that are entrepreneurs and doing it quite differently and they've got a bit of a following and I think, oh, that's a really interesting topic. So I get involved in conversations. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I, I saw a, um, what a guy did. He um, basically applied for a job using a avatar and I was so interested in what he did, only a young guy. And I linked in with him and his new boss. He hadn't started the job. And I said, I'd really be interested in having a conversation with you. And we've set up a conversation for Friday. He's then brought in somebody else, some incredibly inspirational woman, which I will recommend her to you afterwards. And we're generating this conversation. I didn't know where it's going to go. And I still don't know where it's going to go. But I was really interested in how they do things. Because they were coming from their hearts, they were doing it a bit differently, and I just found out that this guy who actually applied for the job using an avatar started his career at a very young age, setting up a, a mental health charity for young people um, around suicide. I didn't know that, but because I could see there was a guy that was being genuine and talking from his heart and doing something a bit differently, I thought, you're an interesting person, I'm going to reach out to you. What I used to do before, I, I did a lot of work around emotional intelligence and uh, training different types of psychometrics, so more sort of structured training um, specifically around emotional intelligence. I did a lot of work around that. Um, so probably a little bit more skill-driven, um, although, you know, the essence of what I've always done is worked with people in a coaching capacity and um, help develop them personally and profession professionally in one way or another. But I would definitely say that the essence of the business was emotional intelligence, moving into leadership and management. And now in Feel Good Leadership, um, it's very much around emotional intelligence. We do use that model um, a lot, um, which is basically self-awareness, self-management and our relationships with other human beings so and how we manage them. When you say emotional intelligence, you're talking about like social skills, being aware of like how you're yeah. perceived by other people. 
Yep. I would say, as this beautiful CEO that I worked with once said, people skills. Okay. And there's a lovely model that Daniel Goldman has had, and it's it's lived the test of time. You know, we're talking about it more and more now, but it's basically having a, a sense of awareness of yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and really getting to know yourself mm-hmm. and understanding yourself. Then having the, 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 the self-management strategies, mm-hmm. which is one thing I talk a lot about in, in burnout. So when you say also psychometrics, what is, what is psychomet- psychometrics? Yeah, psychometrics. Sorry, all- so I'm, just, I'm just putting a cut over the window to shut that noise. It's annoying me. <laughs> it's just thrilling. Yeah, sorry to use all this jargon. A psychometric is sort of, basically, it sort of like measures measures human behaviour. So there's all sorts of different psychometrics that we use in business, in MBTR. You know, there's lots. Of, I won't label them all, but in essence, what it does, it it gives language and categories to chunks of human behaviour, um, which we call in the business com- competencies sets of behaviors so let me explain um in one of the models that i use which is daniel goldman's leadership eq psychometric one of the 12 competencies would be inspiring leadership one of them would be self-awareness one of them would be self-management another one would be achievement orientation so it's cat it's little clusters of behaviors that we can say oh do you do that oh, do I think I do that? And then you ask somebody else, do you think that person does that? And then you basically get a score and you go, oh, people think that I'm an inspiring leader, but I don't think I am myself because we use a 360 model. So it's just increasing self-awareness going, actually, I people see me as a really inspirational leader, but they don't actually see me as having a huge amount of influence, for example. Right. Yeah. So say I was some CEO of a company that had like 100 employees yeah, I would come to you for maybe to see how do I make my employees like me better or something like that. Or yeah, you could do. Um, absolutely, that would be you know developing your emotional intelligence um, or developing your heart. If people don't like you very much, you've probably not been very kind. Um, empathy actually is a is a competency a um, emotional intelligence competency, and it's 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 huge. The, the skill and the heart of having empathy and kindness is uh, massive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think some companies, they can have a good CEO, but then they have people under them that are either they're not aware of how poor they are at managing people or they're perceived. It yeah. can ruin the reputation of the company. So yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if CEOs allow that because they, 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 they don't mind this harsh management from below levels as long as they're sort of separate from it but maybe they're they're responsible for it because they're allowing that culture below them so they can yeah. beat smelly face that doesn't actually do the the hard stuff you know the, mm-hmm. the the nasty stuff yeah i have a yeah i i agree with you on that and i feel that the 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 culture of an organization this isn't my expression it's one that's sort of used quite regularly the culture of an organization is the lowest level of behavior that the leader tolerates. I see, yeah. So exactly what you've said, I believe to be true. So if in an organisation people are treating each other in a in a 
way that isn't helpful and um, is not supporting humanity in that business and supporting a thriving culture, um, then, you know, you do have to look at the... Yeah, you, you can, companies can say anything yeah. they want on their homepage about culture and all that stuff, but if they allow these managers to basically do what they're doing, then it's all it's, it's hypocrisy, really. And, you know, you know, I work with a lot of senior leaders that are really good people, but what I know is that when we're under pressure and stress as human beings, we don't always behave in the right way. Sure. And I really believe that. In organisations, the level of pressure and overwhelm um, can be so much that it triggers off behaviours in all of us that we are not good. Yeah. And however good we are as people, I would say I was a good person, but sometimes my behaviour is not good. And that's why I have to constantly look at myself and manage my own stress, because when I know that I'm stressed, I behave in a way that is not as pleasant as it should be. So if a company and wants none to... Of us are immune to that, right? What's that, I sorry? Believe. I don't think any of us are immune to that. That's that's true, yeah. Um, yeah. So if a company wants to contact you, how, do they, how would they go about it? I would say um, to just email me or phone me. Probably email me is the best thing, otherwise my phone rings a lot. Okay. Um, at Feel Good Leadership, so... I would say look up Feel Good Leadership. There's lots of content on there about what we do and get directly in touch with me. I, I take all the inquiries and calls. So that's what, feelgoodleadership.com or something, was it? Feel... Yeah, feelgoodleadership.com. Okay. Okay, okay. So what's... Uh, who, who typically comes to you for help and um, how do you go... What's a programme that you, say, prescribe for these leaders yeah i'll tell you that can i just say it's .co.uk not com that's <laughs> oh, okay, it's okay i don't even know what my own flipping website is um <laughs> <laughs> it's .co.uk sorry um so yeah this is an interesting question so what what we do is we run leadership programs for leaders and we also run coaching programs and what that means is we take groups of leaders on a journey um, over months and how that's ran is we sit around in a basically a circle and I hold a space that is very safe um, where leaders come and they talk and they share they solve problems we talk about topics and with that psychological safety that I create with the people I work with there's no computers, there's no slides, there's just us all sat around in a circle and it's a facilita very lightly facilitated space for leaders to come to share, talk, solve problems and talk about the stuff that really means stuff to them. Are these leaders in the same company or different companies? Very good question. So I um, I do it typically in a, in a company. Um, and I have and will be running them outside um, a company as well. And the really interesting thing about this, I call it a leadership space. The one thing that we all miss is really being able to be heard, talk to somebody that understands this and actually think through things and give ourselves time and thought to connect in with ourselves and each other so that we can actually solve 
create, do whatever we need to do as human beings, as leaders. Now, I was going to launch a webinar program in January, and I've decided to pull it because what I've noticed about myself and what I believe my clients really need is time and space to a safe space to come and actually work through stuff. So that is what happens in this space, in an organization. And so, of course, you've got the dynamic, which might not always be safe. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think webinars have been really tarnished in recent times. Um, it's, I mean, it's not. I mean, webinars are a great idea, but there's so many people that are making these um, live webinars where it's pre-recorded, yeah. and it's just ruined the reputation of webinars. It has. Um, it, it, they're, they're just um, dive bombed, and uh, people like. It's sort of like the difference between the music industry as it was now and and uh, twenty years ago. Before. Um, you can make money from selling CDs and stuff like that, but now it's all all the premium is on, is on live performance. So I think live events for people are yeah. very craving. But of course, it's not scalable <laughs> if you're just one person doing it. But I think you've, you've got <laughs> you've got a team of people that do stuff, so that's good. Um, yeah, you've managed to uh, replicate yourself in a way. And that was it. That's what happened to me. Last, you know, I basically created a product and I've decided to pull it. You know, just like any other with a business, right? Going, oh my God, I've put quite a lot of effort into this product. But actually, even before I launched it, I thought, no, it's not the right one. Because what we need is we need a safe space, people that we trust to talk about this shit that we're we're struggling with, right? Yeah. So as a business, we are going to continue. I am going to continue to coach people on a one-to-one. I obviously can't do too much, but I want to be able to offer that. I am offering leadership space to groups of people in inside organization and also outside and I'm going to start creating if people want it some safe small groups where people can come and relate to one another and there'd be industry led role led perhaps I'm not too sure but it's about people feeling safe enough and connected enough to each other to do the work that they need to do in order that they get what they really need. So say you've got a FTSE 100 company that comes to you and uh, they've got maybe um, 10 leaders that they want to put into this program. Mm -hmm. How would uh, like the first day or first afternoon look like? What would you actually do with them? If you you can share that. Yeah, of course. Um, So what I would do would, um, you know, it would, it would be quite a lot, a light touch so we would sit in a circle we would all do a check-in and a check-in is basically everybody has um and we work clockwise somebody starts um and and you'll notice that because of the circle you see the circle represents the equality the circle represents the connection and even though there might be different seniorities in there you know everybody in the circle is equal and everyone gets um, equal airtime opportunity to speak to share ideas and we know that that's really frustrating in meetings because it doesn't always happen so we would sit in a circle we would um, check in which is a share of how people are um, share as much as they like and of course at the beginning of a program the psychological safety is typically lower so people would share less and as we do this people are beginning to understand about themselves and be able to speak about how they are they might come about talk about the thoughts they're having or the feelings in their body but again this is even by doing this one check-in is increasing people's self-awareness and connection with each other 
So we would do that. We would very much contract. We would understand what we wanted from the group, what the intention was, what the program outcomes would be. And it would be very much a collaborative team um, setting of intention and understanding of where the group would be and where they want to get to in a quite an emergent conversational way. Um, if I have worked with the leader and the people to design what the programme looks like, which we often do, we work potentially with topics, we work sometimes purely with the emergent. So one particular leadership team that I worked with for two and a half years, we often never got past the check-in. Right. So we were together for 90 minutes in a circle of 12 people and we had a frame of a light frame of a topic and, and what we were going to cover based on all sorts of things we'd agreed at the beginning. And probably nine, eight or nine times out of ten, we never part, went past the check-in because so much emerged from every single person and they were given the space to express that that was the very thing that was the thing that needed to be looked at and talked about in that group. Right. Okay. So by allowing space and allowing a safe, trusting environment where people are connecting and listening to each other and respecting each other's view and being able, feeling that they can really talk their truth, is the that is the journey. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so, isn't it? So let's, let's let's imagine a little story. Imagine um, I'm a CEO of a I've got fifty thousand employees that I'm, yeah. I'm managing, and I'm working like seventy hours a week at least. Yeah, and uh, I'm doing. I've I've got family, and I'm I'm trying as very hard as I can, but yet my company's starting to lose its share price due to factors that I, I can't really help. So, for example, the government starts changing the laws and changes to what I can price and basically the, the company's lost like half its share price what I mean what what kind of like how would you help a CEO in that case you know mm, this is um, this is quite a typical um, scenario and the level of pressure that you're talking to is the level of pressure that a lot of people are going through, whether they're a CEO or whether they might even be a director, the pressure yeah. seems to be similar, even though it might not seem as vast. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I was working with that person in a team of people and we had the level of safety and trust in that group and in that space, um, that person might be able to feel that they could express themselves in that group. Yeah. Um, and the collective support and sense of being in it together would be far greater than what I could advise because I'm just one person. Right, I see. Um, so it's the same as if when any of us are going through anything, if we have, are we surrounded by people that can support us and we can do it together? It's just so far much greater than, you know, I can, I can definitely support somebody as a coach and in a one-to-one -to, -one to, to go through that pain and to help them come up with the answers of what they need to do or just support them through in, in an incredible amount of stress and pain. 
But if teams can come together at times of absolute crisis and just hang on to each other as a, a team of, and an army would support each other through an absolute crisis. You know, it's a similar collective power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I would never parentify myself in the fact that I could help have a cure, but I can, I can provide a facilitated space where these things can be looked at and worked out together in trusting, high-level high trusting groups so, so imagine I was that CEO and I'm like, yeah. I wake up in the morning I'm, and I'm like, okay, what's my motivation for life? Is it just to wake up and provide shareholder value and, and just make these numbers and spreadsheets feel better? How do these guys stay motivated to do what they're doing? You know, like... I know, it's really, um, it's really hard. And this is the personal journey. This is the personal journey of leadership, self-leadership, which I've been through myself with my own burnout experience and you know I do believe that purpose often comes from pain and I see so many I work with so many people um that are going through this level of stress and pain and burnout or not knowing where to turn and feeling trapped trapped in their role trapped in their organization um and it's a journey of self-leadership actually of where 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 can I get the answers to fulfill the role that I actually have to deliver here and now and the strength and the resilience to keep going but also what is the question for myself around my own leadership and my life and do I want to continue doing this for the rest of my life you know there are conversations that I often have with individuals mm-hmm. and that's a journey in itself I think you know, and that doesn't happen overnight. For some people, it does happen overnight, but a lot of people, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You, you know, extracting yourself from one chapter of your life to another one takes time. It's taken me about a year to come to the place that I'm still in. You know, I'm I'm fortunate in that I have a business that supports what I really love doing, um, but I'm doing it in a very different way now because I can, because I sort of own the business and I can decide, fortunately, and I haven't got a whole load of shareholders and bosses that are telling me to do it in a certain way. But a lot of people haven't got that. A lot of those people are, are, are like on a sort of good run of, look at their CVs, I've done, I've done this job, I've done this job. But then if they get one bad one, then it can affect the rest of their life, you know, and they're... Yes. People tend to remember the... Uh, people... <laughs> put all the good things in their CVs but um, it's kind of hard for Hyde if, if you're in a company that lost two thirds of its shareholder value you know? oh I know it really is how and do you it's, bounce back from that you know, so. yeah that's the thing it's um, it's really hard and the shame that comes with knocks like that the public shame and the you know at whatever degree whether that's a, a high level position and they've had the public shame of failing right mm. or it's on a smaller level I think it's equally as relevant for anyone that feels that you know they can't get a job or they failed in their last job or they didn't perform as well as they could or their competence level isn't as good as they thought it was or they're not in their strength their resilience is broken so they've had a 
burnout experience or whatever it is, it's hard to come back from these knocks. Mm-hmm. It is really hard. And what I find in myself and the people that I work with is that, you know, it takes time and you've you've really got to support, you surround yourself by people that love you and that support you and keep away from people that are going to potentially keep judging you and it's, it's, it's really hard. So, um, Jenny, I guess that you, you can't obviously share the clients that you've worked with um, because of confidentiality, but yeah. if somebody wants to learn maybe more detail, then I guess they can contact your organization, maybe get some testimonials or something like that. Absolutely, yeah. I've got a lot of people that I've worked with that would be very happy to personally recommend me. Um, and of course, you know, it's great that we always keep confidentiality. So I would yeah. say link in with me, go to the website. If you if you are interested, contact me directly and I can I can put you in the right direction to get whatever reassurance or testimonials you yeah. would need. I guess yeah. it's quite a hard thing in marketing because normally companies, they can put all these testimonials out. But when you have something like yourself, it's very personal. It's hard to, to sort of get the public feedback because the people that are wanting the help and most benefit don't really want people to know that they don't talk about it (laughs) so they don't want to say exactly i have actually got a case study a videoed case study of my clients i did a a a wonderful piece of work with 18 leaders in an organization and they allowed the video cameras in and there's a wonderful testimonial from all of them from the ceo and the um coo um and me you know it was a, it's a really nice two minute video so that's one i've got another one from another pharmaceutical company galderma um a nestle business who also have publicly recommended me so i've got those two on my website oh okay. yeah yeah okay cool yeah. so i uh, i heard that you also are into interested in neuroscience I am, um, and I'm. I'm really interested. Um, I'm interested in a lot of it, um, but what I'm very interested in is the um, the the link with stress and the link with safety and psychological safety in organisations, and the impact of a lack of trust and psychological safety, um, and the the impact that that has on people's performance engagement and burnout there was a fantastic article this morning um from the harvard business review there's been a whole load of studies on this and it shows that people are at a um increase of 40 percent of burnout in increase 40 percent of burnout having burnout if they're in a, a culture where the trust is low and the psychological safety is low we know um one theory that explains this really well is the polyvagal theory and we, we know about stress. When we go into a stress response, we, we, we get frightened and we perceive danger and we want to retreat to safety. It's very simple. We know that we're human beings and we see danger and we try and retreat to safety. And it's the fight and flight and freeze response. OK, it's really simple. Yeah. And what we know happens in organizations is that a lot of us are in fight and flight for a lot of the time, which is stress. So we are, um, we're we're not feeling at ease. 
we're not feeling particularly safe and we are feeling threatened and what we know about the stress response is that threat is very personal we get socially threatened we get threatened when we don't belong we're not included our status is threatened um we're judged we're we're overwhelmed you know and it's a it's a cycle and if we're in a culture where we are feeling judged, not valued. We don't belong. We're not included. We um, are under so much pressure. Things are failing, uh, whatever it might be, and we feel under threat. Then we're constantly in this this state of fight and flight, which is of course driven by cortisol and adrenaline. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And if we spend our time in this cortisol and adrenaline state without being in the four core happy hormones, which happens, then of course we're in a slow burn and that's being in a stress straight for too long. And burnout is a result of chronic stress. And in my humble opinion and my experience, you know, the stats are between 40 and 60% of people are in chronic stress in the organisations. In my experience, working with senior leaders, you know, it's probably hitting on about 60 to 70%. So you're saying 40 to 60% of everybody in, is in, under stress or, or leaders? Well, there's all sorts of statistics, I think, everywhere um, around burnout, stress. But if we know and we think... Burnout is being in chronic, unmanaged chronic stress for too long. I believe many of us are in the slow burn, which is being in a state of fight and flight in our jobs for prolonged periods of time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, being under yeah. stress is horrible. Even one day is in, in, in two weeks is yeah, too much stress. I remember a time when I had some sort of conflicts and I just woke up in the morning and I just did not feel good about going to work at all like five times more stressed than the normal mm. it's it's uh you just wake up and you just think oh I've got to go in and face these people and uh, yeah. it's horrible I mean I, I just couldn't yeah. live like that yeah and a lot of people do because we feel that we don't have a choice because we've got high levels of responsibility in our roles and looking after our families. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, feeling stressed is often feeling trapped with no choice. Yeah. And you you keep putting yourself back into that fight and flight situation. Yeah. So all the work that I've been doing over the last, I would say, year, both personally and professionally, is around this very, very topic it's it's and and we know you know there's a guy called Gabor Mate and he is absolutely brilliant and he's written a number of books he's he's becoming quite a celebrity in himself he taught he he's actually a doctor he talks about addiction he talks about stress he's written a book called when the body says no um in my experience we're, we're so under pressure and stress we don't notice it this is what happened to me i didn't notice it because I was in stress a long time and I had to keep on with being a single parent, being a business owner, running my business, and it creeps up on you. And that's why I call it the slow burn. And, yeah, the slow burn. Um, And a lot of us are in it and it's very difficult to detect. So whatever percentage we give on people being in chronic stress or the slow burn or whatever we want to call it, we know that there's a lot of people under a lot of pressure and in high stressful situations 
for too for, for too long. I think also there's a macho thing, you know, whether it's men or women. You're not, you're not, if you're at a high leadership level, you don't, you've got not to show weakness. You know, yeah. you, you shouldn't show chinks in your armor. And society's corporate society isn't very forgiving. It's not like you know, it's it's um the world is tough. You know, it's either tough-minded people or you've just fold at pressure. It's not a the world isn't really a very forgiving place, and especially society nowadays, it's very much everything people need help for can be outsourced to the government to help you know but it's um and this is where i come back to um obviously this is what my business does but you know a lot of people haven't got the even the funds to afford a business and coaching and leadership space and all those wonderful things so my recommendation really would be to anybody that is experiencing this stress there's a number of things that we do need to do to come back into ourselves connecting with people that love you getting connected with people that can give you some time that listen to you reach out mm. talk mm. connect I think it's important in, in companies that they have sort of father or, or mother figures in the company. So unless you're at the very top CEO level yeah. and you don't have a father figure, maybe it's a chairman, but basically I think that um, every leader should have a leader above them that they could go to to just talk about their problems. And if that if that sort of father figure can relate to you and say to you like, okay, I know it's not very good, but you know, just basically get on with it i understand if somebody understands what you're going through then that can make it a bit more bearable if, if you're on it by yourself dealing with a situation then it's not very fun at all yeah and just to your point when you're in a senior leadership position or actually in any position in an organization and everyone is too busy to talk and listen and provide any space or understand people don't talk about it yeah I talked. I, I went and talked to a group of people about burnout and my experience, and I was quite um, candid about it. I am being quite candid about it. And what happens is people quietly come up to me afterwards and give me their personal email address or they reach out in a different way where they wouldn't want to do it in the group because they would not want to admit that they're feeling like that. Yeah. What's the point I tell my listeners? Because in London, you've got the police out there and you've got people. I'm in the second floor here, this house, big house, and you can still hear the drilling next door in their basement. You know, it's, yeah. this is this is London. This is it's, it is it's life. <laughs> this is life, right? Yeah. You know, it's another stressor, isn't it? You haven't even got any peace. <laughs> I don't have a studio yet, but uh, some my to do list. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Jenny, I'm getting close to the hour here. Um, yeah, thank you. So what, where do you sort of hope to see yourself in the business in two two years' time or something like that? Oh, it's a really good question, isn't it? You know, for me, I'm, I'm 50 now. I want to be doing the work that I love with people that I love, and I'm not too sure what that looks like yet. Yeah. But that's what I'll be doing. Um, more of the same Um of what I'm doing now and so long as I'm doing the work I love with people I love I'm happy and that's the most important thing to me cool cool anything else you want to share with our audience before we um we had this not really if anyone's got to this point and they're still listening and they're feeling like they are um in need of some connection or 
you know, they're they're feeling really stressed and they like they need a bit of help. Just reach out to someone that you trust. What was it, what was it that made you burnt out in a sense? We can share. What made me burnt yeah. out? Yeah. Well, you know, it was a number of things. You know, my own internal drivers of um, being a bit of a workaholic and achievement addict, right? Which I've also been exploring um, and, and <laughs> loving in myself. So I think I constantly push myself too hard and don't know when to stop. So I've that's one internal. We all have internal drivers. That's one of mine. Um, but actually. I've always been like that and I've never got to the burnout. The the thing for me was the isolation and the um the the le- the high levels of responsibility that I had as a business owner that was scaling and as a single parent on my own. And do you know what it was? I you know, I was lonely and I didn't really have enough people supporting me around me. I didn't really have that team and I really didn't have that family unit. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say, and I will leave with people that it is so, I, it can be, leadership can be so isolating. Senior leadership can be even more isolating, okay? And I don't want to categorize that, but it's the isolation actually, I think, that tipped me over the edge. Well, why do you think leadership, senior leadership is isolating? Um, it's a really good question. I think it's isolating because number one, it's very difficult to get the time and the space and the safety to be able to really talk about what's going on. Uh-huh. Um, where does a leader go when they've got all those problems? You know, and they're at the top of the tree. And I guess if they show weakness, then if they show where they're weak, then it gives them their potential rivals ammunition to sort of you know, if, if the rivals are so inclined. Yeah. Yeah. And where, you know, it's like, where does the, pe- where does the dad go? Or where does the mum go? You know, you can't go to your children, can you? And say, no. actually, can you help me with these problems? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, because we're so overwhelmed and there's so many problems, you're so busy sorting everything out that it's giving yourself the time and the space and the support to actually help you work on your own leadership and help you to sort this stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're in it, it's very, very difficult to, you, you know, we all need help when we're in it, I think. The right love and support. I almost don't want to be a CEO or director, but what advice would you give to people that uh, are sort of ambitious enough that they want to get to that senior leadership points in their companies? Maybe they're not there now. To sort of insulate themselves against uh, potential future stresses like we mentioned in this show. Yeah. Um, I would say make sure you work in the right business that is completely aligned to who you are. So you're, you're working on the things that you're good at with people that are like you in a culture that suits you so that you're not fighting with a conflict of values or culture because that, you know, you can't rise above that, really. Mm. And I would say keep developing yourself, constantly have a growth mindset and surround yourself by beautiful people and treat people beautifully as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we can't do it on our own. We can't. So and... I wonder about leaders like Elon Musk, who's like, 
he really pushes people hard, you know, but but yet people absolutely love him. So yeah. that's the best of both, both worlds. If you can get people to work hard, but exactly. yet still love you, I mean, how, how do you pull that yeah. off? Yeah, it really is. But, you know, I, I, I don't know the particular profile, but this is about, it's not about the push often. It's not about achieving loads because we can achieve so much. But, you know, it's about absolute care and wanting to inspire people and genuinely looking after people as a leader and caring. Yeah. And not harming. It's a very difficult role. It's a very difficult role. Um, you know, I have never been the CEO of a huge business and I haven't had half the problems that many of the people that I work with have, but I have had my own business for 17 years, which I've scaled and I have been a single parent. So I know what leadership is like and it's lonely. Right. Yeah. So you just got to surround yourself by the right people that genuinely love you and want to support you. And those people change, I think, as you grow and business grows, what you need grows around you. Yeah. I'll um, I'll certainly uh, come back for advice because if if my st- I'm working on a little startup and uh, kind of a social network, and if it goes well, yeah. then I'll probably uh, need some uh, leadership counselling at some point. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I think you'll get it all from this talking to all these wonderful, inspirational people that you're talking yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Jenny, it's been a, it's been a privilege to talk to you. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. And I'll be interested to follow your story as you continue to develop it and um, see you around LinkedIn, I guess. Yeah, thank you. Okay. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to Influences Cafe. That was Jenny Rossiter, and she is the um, the, the founder of um, Feel Good Leadership, and she can be found on uh, LinkedIn and her website. So we'll see you again shortly for another Cafe Time. Bye-bye.